I come to you this morning not as an expert, not as a professional in the area of shame. My authority is simply because I've walked in this whole thing of shame. Shame has been on me for, for decades and I've just finally figured out by the grace of God, uh, you don't have to take that little gremlin with you forever, that there are ways of dealing with shame. And so to come in a series like this is fantastic, this whole Overcomer series, and it's not about self-help, it's about Jesus' help, and that's what this series is all about. This is what I'm going to share with you. It's not self-help because self got us into this mess. The only way to get us out is Jesus' help. We need the touch of Jesus, the anointing of Jesus, the guidance of Jesus. And for Karen and I, we love coming to a place like this. We love to be among people who are not, uh, who might be conservative in their theology, but certainly not in their practice. We love being with people who are adventurers, who love taking risks, who love experimenting. And I just wanted to assure you that, you know, because you're, you've got this thing on you and you've got a dream, just to remind you that today is actually part of your destiny, that God is sovereign in every step, that the journey is in the journey. So today is actually part of walking into your, your destiny, of seeing people touch with the power of the gospel uh, from all walks of life, not being confronted with religion, but being confronted with the grace of God. So you've all seen children play sports, and maybe you're one of them that uh, played sport as a very young child. And for Karen and I, you know, our daughter Emily got into netball fairly early on, and Jake got into Auskick. And the, the thing about kids' sport is there is no strategy, there is no sense of teamwork. To be a coach of a five-year-old, you know, Auskick is easy, because basically it's just go and have fun. And you may have, you know, your defence and, and offence, whatever, but once that whistle goes, somehow these two teams, they're all scattered, come together and they just follow the ball because everyone wants to score. And, and it's just this sense of these two teams forming this mobile huddle and they're following the ball and they're all imitating their sporting heroes. So, you know, they kick a, a goal, it's Tim Cahill, you know, it's like that, or it's, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they've got it all down pat, even as a five, six-year-old. And it's all about fun. Although we've jaded. Auskick team, I can remember there was no scoring. Everyone's the winner. But I can tell you what, for a lot of six-year-old boys, they knew at the end of the game, we won 19 to 16. But uh, it was all about fun. That was not my first experience of team sport. About the age of seven, I joined the local soccer team. It wasn't playing sport during the school week, this was actually part of the local soccer team that you practice on a Saturday afternoon. And I knew naturally I was fast, I probably didn't have the best coordination, but as a kid, you want to belong. And so I wanted to belong to this soccer club. And so, like all kids' sport, it's all about fun, and before you know it, it's two teams forming one mobile huddle and they're following the ball. Now you've got a goalkeeper there, you've got a goalkeeper there, you've got the two teams in the huddle, but Rob Mason was way, way back. Even at that age, I was timid and unsure and fearful of letting the team down. Where that came from, I don't know. But in my mind, 
in that little vulnerable soul of a little boy with skinny legs, it was, I, I, I just don't want to let the team down. I don't want to make a public spectacle of myself. I still remember to this day that old leather soccer ball leave, leaving the pack of these little energetic, sweaty boys coming towards me. And in that moment, I did what any boy would do in my situation. I closed my eyes and I kicked the ball. Thankfully, I made contact with the ball, but the ball went out on the full. And then a, a kid with quite a bit of attitude screamed from the pack, why did you kick the ball out? Now, sport is meant to be fun. But somehow in my little mind, the jury was already out and I was found and exposed to be incompetent. I didn't belong. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I don't remember the rest of the game, but I remember the walk home with my dad. And my dad at that stage was not doing so well. He was unemployed and unemployable. I was born during dad's final year of theological training. I was born in October, so I was probably born about exam time. So I don't think I was a real welcome to my father. After about a year or two in ministry, my father had a nervous breakdown and he went on medication for clinical depression. And so even though dad was unemployed and all my mate's friends were truck drivers and carpenters, my dad was unemployed, the fact is my dad was there watching me play soccer. But on the way home, it was like this sense of, I've let dad down. What I remember is the walk home and I call it my walk of shame. After a period of silence, I said to dad, I quit. And you know dad's response? Further silence. So in my mind, I began to write a self-narrative. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves. Dad and his silence must be because he is deeply embarrassed by my performance. Dad's disengagement, dad's passivity, dad's silence reinforced into me, son, you blew it. No words of reassurance, no words, hey, it was actually a really good kick. You just kicked it out of play, but that's all right. Or no, hey, it's just a game. It's more than a game. None of that. No, hey, when we get home and over the next couple of weeks after, well, hey, he's unemployed. When you get home from school, let's practice. Nothing. Silence, disengagement, abandonment. And so in my little mind, I came to this conclusion and it was so flawed, a very flawed assessment. It was more than I made a mistake. No, I am a mistake. It was more than I failed. No, 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 no. I am a failure. It was so much deeper than I quit. No, I am a quitter. And that is the essence of shame. 
It's not so much what we did or didn't do, it is menacing inferiority. I am. I am not good enough, I am not smart enough, I am ugly, I am worthless, I am unlovable, I am a failure, I am bad, I am a mistake, I am a quitter. And all of that begins to reinforce this self-narrative. And what happens at that point? Shame comes in as a parasite. A parasite looks for a host and the host of shame is a vulnerable soul. And as a little boy who believed he made a public spectacle of himself, who feels worthless, he doesn't belong, this parasite of shame comes into this host and it feeds at my expense. It feeds off hiddenness and silence. As I remain hidden and remain silent and reinforce this shame narrative, this parasite of shame gets fatter and fatter and begins to totally occupy my world. Shame got on me through this defining moment of dysfunction. And we all have defining moments of dysfunction. Times where we, it it could be something in our sexuality, it could be in an exam, it could be a relationship, it could be a marriage that has failed, it could be immorality, it could be a whole lot of areas. And we come to this conclusion, I need to cover myself. No one can know who I really am. I need to hide. Shame is a voice. Shame speaks. Shame is an inner critic. And if we're not careful, it becomes a relentless voice. From the moment, you know, we wake up to the moment we put our head on the pillow, shame is speaking. We are listening. I'm not good enough. We go into the the Genesis narrative, the first couple of chapters of Genesis, and it starts off in the beginning, God. It's a a spectacular statement. And we have in other epic stories, once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. And this epic story, the God story starts in the beginning. And throughout creation, at the end of every day, God said, oh, it's good, it's good. Oh, that was so good. And high-fiving all the angels, like, that's good. But when He made man and woman in His image, in the image of God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, He said, oh, this is very good. And one of the the most profound statements we find in Genesis 2.25, the two of them, the man and his wife were naked, but they felt no shame. We can only imagine what it's like to live with no shame, to look into the mirror and there is no shame. There's no regret, there's no humiliation, There's uh, no brokenness, there's no dysfunction, there's no uh, being self-conscious. Oh, am my thighs getting bigger? You know, there's nothing like that. Nothing. Are these guns? Just none of that. Purity, innocence, all wonder, just this oneness with God. And then like all epic stories, 
there's the, the darkness penetrates the light and, and there's a catastrophe. And we know with the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, in this Genesis narrative that they did the unthinkable. They rebelled against God. And then we read in this narrative, God approaching the man and woman, which is fascinating because God's presence is everywhere. Yet there must have been these moments where for the man and woman, it's like, oh, in the cool of the garden, there's this rustling sound. This it's like, the, it's the sound of God approaching. It's the sound of God manifesting an aspect of His glory that we've never seen before. Because it's not like they ever became familiar with God. It's just, normally, oh, it's God, He's coming. He's coming to manifest. But this time it was different. They hear God approaching and for the first time, they hide. And God see, says these words, where are you? No, it's not the first game of hide and seek. He knows where they are. He knows everything about everything. But it's a question that revealed to them something has shifted. You're hiding. You've never hidden before. It's not a question, it's a statement about something that has dramatically changed. But where are you is not the sound of a school principal or a judge, someone who is harsh. It's not, where are you? It's the sound of a broken-hearted father. Where are you? You're hiding. I didn't create you to hide. And then you notice, oh, not only are you hiding, you have covered yourself. It's pathetic. And we still do it today. We still, oh no, we've advanced from fig leaves. We hide our shame with perfectionism. We hide our shame with business. Isn't that the saying now? How are you going? Oh, I'm busy. In other words, I'm really important. Excessive entertainment, addictions, but we're still doing what the first man and woman did. We are hiding and we're doing it our way on our terms and God's saying, I want to expose this shift, not to say shame on you, but to say shame off you. I don't want you to hide and I want to put on a covering. And it's going to cost this innocent animal its life. It's our first picture of substitutionary atonement. In other words, someone's going to take, someone's going to pay our price. They're going to be a substitute and they are going to cover. Their blood, their life is now going to cover us. So now the man and the woman are covered by what was innocent, the shedding of blood. And this is a prophetic picture of what Jesus will do millenniums later. And once again, we see that this is what shame is. It's hiding. 
Shame feeds on hiddenness and silence. But God is still saying and asking the same question today. Where are you? It's not judgment. It's not condemnation because that is the dialect of shame. But it's, I want to expose you. I want to show and reveal through Holy Spirit your brokenness, your dysfunction. That it's not a pathway to further brokenness and further shame, or in my case, that shame was a pathway to mental health struggles, that God is saying, I want shame to be a pathway to my grace. I want to expose you, not to ruin you, but to transform you. I want my grace to get on you because if shame can get on us, it can also get off us. The good news is, shame is temporary. Shame is not the end. Shame doesn't have to have the last word. Where shame abounds, grace abounds much more. Shame is a voice, but also grace is a voice. And the voice of grace is much louder and it is potent and it's soothing. And it's like, that's a different voice. That's a voice I want to listen to and embrace. The message is don't get stuck on, don't get stuck on shame. My journey is it's been decades of living with shame, the sense of I just thought it was just part of who I am. My narrative, this passenger, this voice. Then you just go back to Genesis and think, no, there's another covering. There's another way of dealing with shame. And that is just saying to God, I am broken. I am so devastated with shame. I, I am so afraid of being exposed. I want to hear those words, shame off you. I want it off you. The two of them, the man and his wife were naked, but they felt no shame. My story is shame was the pathway to anxiety and panic attacks. And then about 10 years of that has led to a pathway to further shame. It's almost like shame was begetting shame. I was overwhelmed with anxiety and the shame of being anxious. But I stand before you today I've got a different story because I'm listening to a different voice. Shame is off me. My shame is a pathway to grace. I'm no longer overwhelmed by my brokenness and my shame and my anxiety and the fear of panic attacks. I'm becoming increasingly overwhelmed with the grace of God. And that God has a redemptive way of saying, you know what, your pain is now going to be a platform. Because the way to deal with shame is going the opposite spirit. 
Shame wants us to hide and be silent. Grace is saying, come out of your hiding and speak. Tell your story. The key to overcoming shame is vulnerability and the courage of coming out from hiding and saying, shame has been on me. This is how shame has manifested. And I'm on a process, I'm on a journey of God taking shame off me. Hence, that's part of the reason why I have stepped down, hung up the boots of being a local church pastor. It's like, it's almost like my pulpit is our city. It's our nation. That God is saying, I'm going to redeem those years of pain. Your pain will be a platform. And I want you to encourage people, whatever their background, whatever, however shame manifests, just come out of hiding. And somehow, just tell someone your story. And you might think, yeah, but what if they don't understand? What if they tr-? Look, there's a lot of people who don't know how to respond to shame. Some will try and fix you. Some will, you know, if you've got anxiety, some will just say, hey, don't be anxious. Oh, that's really helpful. I hadn't thought of that. Pray more, read scripture more, do this, do that. But it doesn't really matter how people respond. The power is in you telling your story. So I'm writing blogs, I've got a website, uh, www.robmason.co. You can email me at rob at robmason.co. There are blogs, there, there, um, you can be part of the Shame Off You tribe. It's just about having a conversation. And it's just like, hey, I've... I'm no longer afraid of being exposed. I'm no longer afraid of being somehow exposed as being as incompetent, useless, worthless because I'm covered. I'm wearing this garment called the righteousness of Jesus and it fits really well. You can't get it at Country Road or whatever. It's just tailor-made and it fits well. So what we're going to do now, there are so many ways of dealing with shame. And for me, there's no silver bullet, sorry, There's no formula. If you do this, this will happen. It's a journey. And one thing that has helped me is just using my imagination. Now, some people may use the word visualisation. The reason why I didn't use it is because some people go, "Ah." Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. That was not spontaneous. The heavens and the earth began in the imagination of God. Your life didn't actually begin at conception, wherever that took place, whether it was planned or not. Your, concept, your, your life began in the imagination of God. Abram became Abraham. And God said, I want you to look at the stars of the sky. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that is your descendants. I want you to live in, I want, want you to be a time rebel and bring the future into the present. And so what we're gonna do now, we're gonna have a little bit of anointed music playing. In a moment, I'm going to get you to close your eyes just so you're not distracted. I'm going to share a story. Now, I've heard something of this story, but I've made it up. And you can make it up. You can add things. You, in a while, it makes sense, but you can add rainbows. You can add albatross. 
Um, we're going to go on a little island. You can add Gilligan, uh, Marianne, the skipper. You can add Tom Hanks. You do whatever you want. But it's a story, it's a journey we're going to go on. And we're going to experience what it's like to have shame off you. One of the things that has been helpful, one of the things plus meditation, exercise, deep breathing, repentance, sharing with other people. So why don't we go on a little journey now? And so if it's helpful, close your eyes, not to be mysterious or anything like that, but just so you're not distracted. And I want you to imagine that you go up to shame. Shame is more than emotion. Shame is personified. Shame is a person. And you go up to shame and say, hey, shame, I want us to go on a journey together, just the two of us. Shame goes, are you serious? Wow, I've been trying to get your attention for so long and you, you cut me out, but wow, where are we going? Hey, just come with me. And you make your way to a key, Q-U-A-Y, and you, you go on a little boat, a little outboard motor, and you, you head off out past the breaker and you're just going and going and then shame's going, where are we going? And you just say, we're going on an adventure. It's a surprise, it's shame. I love surprises. And then Shame keeps asking questions and you just stay silent. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it's just, you know, you're just motoring along hour after hour after hour. And Shame keeps rattling on. I really wanted to be your friend and I love it when you listen to me. I, I love it when we're really close. I love it when you hide. I, 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 I like hiding with you. I love it when you're silent. I, I love silence. You've just got this smile on your face. Hour after hour and you approach this little tropical island. And shame turns around and goes, whoa, an island. Is there anyone else there? You just say, no, it's just the two of us. You get out, you put your anchor down, you walk it, you know, the water's up to your knees. You, you walk along and you walk to the edge and it's like, okay, do you want to play a game? And shame says, oh, I love games. Oh, I love the blame game. I love the self-pity game. No, 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 we're doing a different sort of game, shame. We're going to play hide and seek. Oh, I love hiding. Yeah, I know you love hiding. But this time... I, I, I'm going to hide and I, I want you to count a hundred and all the way down to zero and, you know, ready or not, here I come and you're going to find me. Oh, this is going to be so good. I'm going to count really slow. I want you to find a really hard place. Oh, I'm going to find a really difficult place. Shame's going, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. And so, okay, you ready? Yeah, yeah. A hundred, ninety-nine, 98 and shame's counting down and you start walking towards the boat. You're, you're quietly walking through the water so shame doesn't hear the water being disturbed. And you, you take the anchor up and you, you push the boat out. You, you don't start the motor. You don't want shame you know, to see what you're doing and you just take it further out. You got the, the oars, you start paddling out and you can hear 50, 49, 48. And then you start the little motor and you start leaving the island. And you can hear 10, 
Moments pass. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then all of a sudden, shame sees you in the boat. Now you're revving up. Come back. Come back. Come back. There's this big smile on your face. Come back. You have left shame behind hour upon hour on this journey. You arrive to the quay, you get out. Waiting for that voice of shame. Silence. But this is good silence. And then you hear the whisper. Rob Mason, and say your name. You are an overcomer. Shame off you. And wherever we go, that is the message we share to your physio, to your partner, to your kids, to your friends. Shame off you. God bless. Hey, I'm going to pray. God, wow. Thank you so much for this relationship you have allowed us to, to have with Rob and Karen that's brought us to this place for Rob to be able to share that this morning. And uh, God, I pray for those people that needed to hear that word, that that was a word in season, that that will be a word of hope, a word of encouragement, and ultimately a word of release as, as Rob's walked us through that, that story, that we will actually leave here different than when we walked in, that, that actually that this building, this auditorium will be a metaphor for that island, that we will actually walk out of here leaving the shame behind, that we know that one word from you can do far more than 20 years of therapy. God bless therapists and thank you, God, that a word in season can, can, can set us free in a moment. In Jesus' name, amen.